1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co host Ron Baker, and on today's show, part two of our panel recorded live at Sage Summit 2017 in Toronto Accountants and Bookkeepers of the Future. For those of you who are listening live, hoping for one of our Freerider Friday segments, please rest assured that we will return next week with a Free Rider Friday. We just had some vacation and scheduling conflicts, so decided to run part two of this interview today. And we're pleased to bring it to you. And But we will return again next week with Freerider Friday. Uh, as a double presentation for August, we will have a Freerider Friday both the first and the last week. So you'll have that to look forward to. Just a reminder, part one of this conversation is available at www.thesoulofenterprise.com slash Toronto One. It is the show that reco- was released on July 7th, 2017. So if that helps you find part one, want to let you do that. Again, www.thesoulofenterprise.com slash Toronto One. On the panel were the following, Diane Mueller. She is the founder and president of the Institute of Professional Bookkeepers in Canada. Tamar Satav, the managing editor at CPA Magazine and an award-winning journalist specializing in business, parenting, and personal finance. And Rachel Fish, who at the time headed up the bookkeeping practice for Deloitte in Toronto. Uh, as an FYI, she is now my colleague here at Sage, where she is the group manager for accounting professionals in Sage, Canada. And now let's have a listen to part two of our panel Accountants and Bookkeepers of the Future.
2: Let me ask all three of you this. You can't do a show on Soul Enterprise without talking about this topic. <laughs> I warn <Uh-oh>. you. <laughs> Where's hourly billing versus value pricing in the bookkeeping
1: accounting community?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh smackdown. So
3: I, 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 I need to be first out on this one. <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Almost. Um, I'm gonna actually say just one sentence. (laughs) Bookkeepers unite! All you have to lose is the (laughs) timesheet. That's where it needs to be. Absolutely.
5: Karl Marx, I love it. (laughs) Mm
1: So well, that's where it's going to go where it needs to be.
3: Absolutely. That's where it needs to be. Right? Well, well, Diane, the
2: IPBC has played a big role in that here in Canada, for sure.
3: Well, and, and you have, Ron. Yeah, you, you really have. Um, you have taught a lot of our members exactly how to take their business to the next level and get rid of that timesheet and that whole mentality and how to look at the scope of work that they're doing and how to value price every single customer and every single customer will be different and you, you've just done an amazing job and I want to say thank you publicly because I think of all of the people that are working within the industry and the work that you've done at IPPC to take our members and really help them. Go through the work it would need to become value pricers is absolutely amazing. And we have now 26, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. I should check that number, but I think it's around. close, Close to 30. 26 to 30 graduates of bookkeepers that have taken over your philosophy and they are the ones that are the most successful of all of our members and just skyrocketing with their businesses. So thank
6: you.
0: I think some of them are in this room. (laughs) That's right. That's right.
2: Tamara, what do you see out there with this? You know,
6: I I, I think it's um, changing slowly, mostly among sort of younger practitioners. They embrace technology and, you know, I was just mentioning the remote uh, work, you know, like they'll, they want to work from wherever. So, you know, yeah, stuff in the cloud makes sense. Um, And uh, they're, they're using that technology and so it makes more sense for the value pricing because if they're billing for time, they're not billing very much, right? No. And I think that over time, uh, more and more uh, practitioners are going to, to realize that if they want to continue to make money, if they want to you know, earn a decent living, that they, they won't be able to bill for their time because you know things happen too quickly. we've got in, a, in a, our upcoming uh, technology issue at CPA Magazine, um, features uh, a, a company called um, Blue Jay Legal and they use an algorithm called Tax Foresight and basically takes the research that a junior associate would spend, you know, like 40 hours on and it can, it can give you the output in two minutes and, you know, the similar court cases and, you know, all the things you need to know. So, you know, you can't, you can't build for two minutes, right? And you. In the same way, we were talking earlier that you know the clients they don't want to have to worry about the technology or whatever. They just like, no, I just want you to take care of it. So that lends itself to saying, okay, well, I'm going to pay you to take care of it. I'm not going to pay you for the time that you spend. I just want you to do X, Y, and Z, and we'll determine what X, Y, and Z will be. But I, I just I think it's not there yet. It's just changing slowly.
2: Yeah. Rachel, what do you see? Because you you've got an interesting perch because you're in the big <laughs> four. They are mired in the billable hour. The belly of the beast. <laughs> what do they, they do with you? Do they give you autonomy?
1: No. you going to get her in trouble, right? That doesn't, that doesn't surprise me.
4: Um. Okay. Her
2: opinion
1: does not represent her employer. <laughs> what's the vote what's we'll on this one? So,
4: what, yeah, what's my charge code for this one? <laughs> um. So what I, I will answer as a practitioner, having my firm for five years, that pricing is a skill and it's a skill that I did not have <laughs> because I learned that it was a skill long after I actually needed it. Um, so the whole thing with pricing, I found it a huge challenge. I talked to other people who had been through the Blossom program, the program that uh, was, was mentioning there. Um, and I've got a lot of, oh, it's hard, it's hard, but I think the hardest part is the mindset of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you can do the work and change the mindset of not only yourself, but also your clients, then yes, absolutely. So if you're willing to put in the work, then that's great. What I will also say is that There is always somebody else that will have a lower hourly rate. So if you are competing against other bookkeepers based on hourly rate, there will always be somebody cheaper than you. But they are probably making some pretty good money because of how long it takes for them to do it. So I I I can charge a lot of money cleaning up after the client has already paid a lot of money. So just give me a lot of money first, and or everybody's happy. <laughs> because you get what you need the first time instead of um, instead of having to go through the headaches that we've seen some bad bookkeepers.
7: All right.
1: Fair enough. Do you have thoughts or comments on that? Okay, good. So ready, Yodi? All right. Playing the part of Phil Donahue today will be Yodi. that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the double check. They might have to move it up. Again. Check. Yeah, you're oh, on. There you go. Awesome. You're not- Uh, And so here's the rules for questioning. Ready? There are three. Number one, please first state your name so we can address you. And you can address your question to any of us or all of us. That's fine. So please state your name. State the company that you're with or your own, you're representing yourself. And this is the third and hardest rule. You must ask a question. (laughs) All right. You can preface it with a statement or two if you need need to give some background on something, but, like, we're gonna give you the sign, like, to get to the question. Alright, so we'll give, we'll relatively short leash on this. Alright, who is the first volunteer, a victim volunteer? (laughs) Right up front, awesome. Okay, great. Oh, please wait for the microphone, too, so thanks, okay.
4: Hi, my name is Val, and I am with PLOSPA. Um, regarding the niche, and also regarding, um, the CPA or no the bookkeeper being more, maybe business strategies. Um, how do you deal with conflict of interest? Because you're going to be probably advising one company on um, business strategy, and you're having the same client or the same industry, and you're going to be advising on that as well. Yeah, this happened in my practice where I was in a town that had two very large landscaping companies and they were very much in competition with each other. So that was kind of awkward when the second landscaping company called because I knew how much of a competition they were to each other. And I think it it came down to, I had pretty long engagements with both of them. It came down to me, the client and I having that relationship and them knowing that when I am... There or when we are discussing when I'm working for them, I am working only for them. And and so I think that's where that trusted part of trusted advisor comes in, is I'm now not going, it would be extremely unprofessional of me to take that and go elsewhere. Um, I have had clients ask me to sign or ha- have me prepare for them like a confidentiality agreement. I, I have never done that myself, but I've always offered if you would like to for me to sign yours, I am more than willing to do that. I'm willing to sign saying that that's going to stay that way. I have never had a client take me up on it, so I, I think it it just ultimately comes down to the trust of the client.
2: And, and I just I'll chime in on that because this is a fascinating topic. I, we work with a lot of advertising agencies, and in advertising agencies, that that's one of the places where this this idea of a conflict that law kind of grew up. Uh, if, you, if you're if you an advertising agency for Coke, Pepsi doesn't want anything to do with you, right? Mm-hmm. If you advertise for Procter & Gamble, you're probably not going to be the advertising agency for Johnson & Johnson. We were sitting in a room, Tim Williams and I, our other Verisage colleague who works in this space, and we were in there with Pepsi and Coke and Procter & Gamble and J&J, and they looked at one another and said, why do we do this? Why do we have these conflict of interest rules? Do you hire McKinsey? Yep. Do you hire McKinsey? Yep. Everybody hires McKinsey. (laughs) But but advertising agencies and law firms are conflicted out. They said, this is ridiculous. Don't we want our advertising agency to understand the beverage world or our industry? This conflict is insane. So I I think you're right. I think if you're the trusted advisor, and obviously you don't talk about other clients' business, but this is pretty simple to get around. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on the, path from the panel
4: on that?
3: I just that I'll chime in that we also have a code of conduct as professionals that we should make
4: sure that we're adhering to.
3: Um, and I have signed many, actually, over the years. Yeah, for sure. And I have no trouble signing yeah. yeah.
1: And in a way, it's a strategic advantage from a bookkeeper perspective. But well, at least in the States, anyway, right? They, they're, they're supposed to shy away from strategy work, right? Accountants, accounting firms, especially if they have the audit. Well, yeah, in CPA firms, in yeah, CPA there's some stuff that they can't. And as a yeah. result of that, like, a lot of them just back away from it right. because they don't want. So it's an advantage, right, they, from a bookkeeper perspective. They, I'm happy to work with you on strategy. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so more than that. Good. All right, next question. Over here. Two. All right, excellent. Good. We're queued up here. You're third. <laughs> next on the list.
4: My name is Heather Young from Young
1: Associates. This is a question for anybody. I wonder
4: if you could comment a little bit more on your favorite time-saving tools and automations—the things that excite you the most about new developments. I have to
3: say, bank feeds. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think that they're huge time savers. So I, 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 love bank feeds coming into the software, and of course, the Stage One we can uh, we do that.
4: Um, I'm going to say HubDoc is my favorite. They're in Booth B2 downstairs. HubDoc in 2BDOC. And what I love about them is their ability to fetch and store bank statements, credit card statements. Basically, anything that you log online to get a copy of a bill, you, it will be able to fetch and bring it into a storage. And it, it also automatically files and creates folders for the different items as well. So the amount of nagging that we no longer have to do is phenomenal. And it's the same, usually if you can get a client to do bank feeds, you can get them to do HubDoc and vice versa. So not only do we have the daily transactional information coming directly into the accounting software, but now we also have checks as they clear, e-transfers as they clear, bank statements, <laughs> like you name it. And the good news is, we've just been it just
3: announced here at uh, Sage Summit that HubDoc is going to be a partner. Okay, so, um, yeah. yeah. Mark, that one not really
6: not not really my area i mean i can tell you about time-saving techniques for journalists or
5: oh,
1: no, i don't know the there are many, double secret encryption <laughs> okay. uh, i've got one i'm going to share and then the, i you're aware of this one Ron, but, but i love this thing called x.ai anybody familiar with the x.ai in the room nope yeah one isn't it awesome do you, do you use x.ai yeah all right so x.ai is uh it's a bot that schedules meetings for you, right? So if I want, to, and, and this is uh, work per se. So if I meet, want to schedule a meeting with Yodi, I have access to her calendar. We can coordinate and sync up no problem through Exchange, right? But you don't have this through you know outside with outside people. So there's all those services where there's click this link and pick this time and all this stuff. This does it through email. So what you do is you re- respond and say you know. Uh, Ron, uh, we're going to set the meeting for next week. I CC Amy or Andrew, so we can pick either one. Uh, Amy or Andrew at x.ai. And I said, Amy, schedule a meeting next week with Ron for 30 minutes. Right. Amy looks at my calendar, has access to my, my calendar, goes out and says, Ron, Ed is available this time, this time, this time, this time. Which one would you like? Oh, none of those work? Oh, okay, so then Amy comes back and gives you another couple of choices. And finally, once Amy and Ron go back and forth on selecting the time that we want to talk, and she'll also collect Skype address or, or a phone number if you tell her to do so. she will also tell her, if you say, I want to schedule a lunch with so-and-so, what your favorite lunch places are. So it's just like, you know, connect. So we will meet you for coffee at this address, right? And then once Amy and Ron work it all out, then Amy sends me an email that says, here's the date and time, click accept on the appointment, done nice beautiful thing and right. like an idiot I'm talking yeah Hi,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was
1: like my, yeah, yeah. my test. my test to see if it worked and, and I think got back my mind <laughs> Amy what happened to Christine <laughs> <laughs> right. we'll take we'll edit that out yeah no 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 uh, Christine's aware of Amy okay okay good He's <laughs> Amy's a boss it's good all well, good all right so anyway there's my favorite time saver I mean, how long do you go back and forth right with people on, on meetings right just incredible Good stuff. 40 bucks a month if you do more than five meetings. 40 bucks a month. But, That's a lot. Yeah, but how, how much would it be to hire a person to do that? No. And that concludes the first segment of part two of our conversation recorded live at Sage Summit 2017 in Toronto, accountants and bookkeepers of the future. We want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to ask T S O E at Verisage.com. And again, that email will go both to Ron and me. You can listen to show notes or past shows and, and read show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can also see some upcoming events where Ron and I will be on our handy calendar, as well as all of the archives for previous shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results.
7: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is
0: not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results.
8: My name is Raflieta Taylor. I'm from Taylor Bloom Consulting. It's my own company that I've started. Well, really, this question is directly for you, Tamar. I'm interested in the Knowledge Bureau, the Genesis, and your mission statement. You could just expound on that. (laughs) So,
5: given that I haven't officially started yet, that's really putting me on the
6: spot. Um, So, the company uh, was founded by Evelyn Jacks. Um, She's sort of trained as an educator, uh, but has been in the uh, personal finance space for a long time. She's got like a dozen books on personal finance. And so, she started this company uh, 14 or 15 years ago. And um, basically, there's various course offerings and um, you know you can specialize in in different areas Um, mostly the courses are online um, and in different modules uh, and um, yeah the the designations are distinguished financial advisor master financial advisor real wealth manager and like i said before there's a new one the executive uh, business builder uh, and the courses qualify for CPE credits um, it's all across Canada there's also um, seasonally workshops across the country and an annual conference
1: okay next question there was one back there or you reserve comment yeah back here. Okay.
5: Wait for the microphone
1: so that we can record this for posterity Thank you Andrew Wall from wall CPA um, and I'm wanted to start with a comment about you guys being excited about the future and about change. And I think Tony Robbins says, change is inevitable, but transformation is optional. And the question is, why are so few of the industry
0: professionals not making that transformation? And what will be the tipping point that starts to see the majority of the profession moving to this new model? Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs>
3: that and like, a
1: yeah, <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: the esteemed panel I, I, that, that, let's yeah. Take, uh, yeah because Ron, we know Ron has an opinion on this,
5: right? <laughs> think, um, so let's
1: hear what you guys have to say first and then Ron will
7: go
6: uh, professionals are busy right and so they're so busy doing the day to day work that they don't necessarily um, stop to, to think about you know Transformation or take, you know, th- that level of change. Um, then there's also a big fear factor, right? Um, failure is not the other effort. But lots of people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the tech industry understands that failure is sort of the other side of risk, and it's sort of the fast fail movement, fail con. Let's celebrate our failures and fail forward. Fail forward. Yeah. Make sure make sure that um, we're taking educated risks. And you know, I think that changing yeah, the do. way we do business is feels risky. It's 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 scary, but. It's okay, and if you know it doesn't work out exactly the way you want on your first go, you know, then you learn and you go to the next. But I think you know, accounting professionals they have to learn how to embrace that change and embrace innovation and technology and and all those things that it's it's hard to do. You know, you're talking about um, a different way of looking at things um, in terms of the tipping point. Is sort of what I was getting at earlier is you know, um, when you can no longer earn a living doing things the way you did it before, then that's, that's kind of, hopefully by that point it's not too late, you know. Nobody else has come in and,
4: and taken over all of your business. I think accountants, as an industry and as a legacy, are very risk adverse. Uh, their job is compliance. Compliance doesn't often change. Um, and so, by nature, the types of people who make good that, are not, you know, the ones that are looking outside of themselves to see what the industry as a whole is doing, to see how tech is actually going to affect them. So it's been really interesting, while I've been at Deloitte, to see, you know, those accountants really excited about clients who are in tech, and then, in some cases, not necessarily be able to translate what that might, what that effect of what's happening with the client might actually be for them. So that's been pretty fascinating as
5: well
3: i'll just add that i think bookkeepers are actually doing the transformation a bit faster than accountants for sure Mm, yeah Yeah.
1: what do you think what do i think (laughs) what do you (laughs) want to show on this do show on changing your mind uh and I, i i i think part of it has to do with with um the The physiologic component of the brain, actually. I mean, I think that the, the older we get, the harder it is for us to, to 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 actually make changes in our mindset. Which is why I think it's important to continuously read and continuously challenge yourself and ask new questions. Because otherwise, your brain does, as it ages, it it's yeah, it shrinks and, it, and and no new neural pathways are burned. That's why, like when m- many of us, when adults learn something, we tend to learn it in what's my mentor called a BFO. Right, a blinding flash of the obvious. Right, when adults, when we pick up something, always are like, oh, 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 right, it's that way. Right, and that's it is in. But physiologically, what we're finding out that is a new neural path being burnt in your brain that's been stagnant for a while, and you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. But whereas children tend to layer their knowledge, right? They they build upon it, build upon it. We don't. We get more narrow and focused. So we have to have this quick shift, and I think. Once you get to a certain point, and it's it's always worked this way, we tend to shut down. So, don't fix it if it's
2: not broken. Yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew, it's a great question. i thought a ton about this, and I think everything that's been said is, right, we, we're a risk-adverse profession. We're also loss-adverse. I think that plays into it. I think unlearning is much harder than learning, mm-hmm. right? I think that plays into it. Um, you know, the physicist Max Planck once said that progress happens funeral by funeral.
3: <laughs> as, as the
2: old people die off, this, this change will happen. But I don't buy that, folks, because some of, the, some of the most successful people with this business model change have been 60 and older. So I don't buy that at all. I, I, do, I do not think this is a, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks type thing. Um, here's what I equate this to. Changing a profession's mind on a business model it, or, or anything really that's, that's part of the orthodoxy of that profession is very, very difficult. I'm going to give you a real quick example. Two guys in Perth, Australia, doctors, had a theory in 1990 that said ulcers were not caused by stress. Now, this was the common medical belief for 50, 60 years, that, oh, stress. They said, that's a BS diagnosis, because if you talk to anybody long enough, you'll find stress in their life. Everybody (laughs) has stress. So, uh, it's like, you can't blame airplane crashes on gravity. Well, you can't blame medical problems on stress, because everybody's got stress. They said, it's caused by uh, bacteria in the gut. And they developed an antibiotic cocktail that you drank, and it cured ulcers. Now, they were in the outback in Perth, Australia. Nobody believed it. They wouldn't let them publish in peer journals. They wouldn't let them speak at medical conferences. These were two MDs. They were completely shunned, completely shunned. It took them nearly 20 years to get the medical profession, which is supposedly scientific and evidence-based, to change their mind. Of course, they went on to win the Nobel Prize, because they're right. Ulcers are not caused by stress. They're caused by bacteria. But if it takes them 20 years to change a medical profession that's supposedly based on evidence, how long is it going to take to get CPAs to change? Now, here's where I think, Diane and the bookkeepers, this is where I think you have the CPAs beat to all hell. CPAs are a profession, they're taught orthodoxies. We all go through the same BS, the same, you know, get our hands stamped the same way, go through the big four, big whatever firm. We all learn the same thing. That's very hard to change. But bookkeepers, far more diverse background. I've had black swans from FedEx and SAP and Microsoft and all these different, they're much quicker, they're much more innovative, they they, they uh, gravitate to ideas much faster because they're not a profession. I think that's a huge advantage. Don't ever professionalize the bookkeeping. Because if you professionalize it, you'll
1: kill its innovation. And <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Thank
5: you, the institute of
1: third by professional bookkeeper. But you, but you mean state sanctioned. I, I mean state licensing. Yes. Yeah, that's what he means, folks. That's not a state <laughs> licensing. State licensing. The opinions of the panel do not it.
4: I'm looking forward to when we're actually going to see what we're seeing out in the workplace and with our clients, seeing maybe CPAs being better prepared for that during the education process. I think that right now we're still pumping out. It
2: won't. I don't think. See, I've thought about this a lot too. I don't think it will happen at the education process. This change is not going to happen in the CPA profession. I would say until one of the four, one because that's the grist mill where these people are taught all this BS about you sell time and all that. That's where I was taught. Um, Until one of the four and the top ten, top one hundred firms start dropping the timesheet, the billable hour, you're not going to see a tipping point. I have bets with many people that this tipping point won't happen in my lifetime. I don't think it will. We're just getting the ball rolling. We're not near the tipping point yet. You won't be able to collect either. No. <laughs> 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 it's a dumb bet. Well,
6: we did, um, we've done in the magazine some service pieces on sort of, you know, you're resistant to change and, you know, how do, how do you build in innovation in, into your DNA kind of thing. So I think some, some tips for people who find it hard, um, one is to uh, create a goal um, to take a risk so that even if that risk doesn't pay off, you've met your goal by taking the risk. And so that's creating a measurable there, you know, and you can take it off. Um, so another one is to look at um, innovation like a portfolio. So in the same way that you might have a portfolio of investments that with different time horizons and different levels of risk, you can look at an innovation portfolio that you know some things that um, you know you're you're gonna innovate so hopefully hopefully to make a change in the short term. And then there are other things that you're looking towards the long term, things that might have different levels of risk. So sort of taking, oh, and also to um, offer, recognize and reward innovations. So, you know, that that's something that should be measured and, and looked at and recognized. Um, so these are just a few, few ways to sort of build into your business processes.
1: That concludes segment two of part two of our segment recorded live at Sage Summit 2017 in Toronto, Accountants and Bookkeepers of the Future. Right now, we want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to T S O E at verisage.com. Please visit our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes from previous shows as well as previews of upcoming shows. View a calendar of events where Ron and I will be appearing, hopefully, at a place near you. And, of course, listen to all of our previous episodes of The Soul of Enterprise on our page. Right now, a word from our sponsor.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Question, more questions? Right up here, up front. Yeah, while Yodi's know, coming up, one of the challenges with that, though, tomorrow is that that innovation is is antithetical to the timesheet. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And efficiency. Right. Correct, because, you, know, you, you need know, the time I was time innovating too. today. Like, try to put that on the time. What's the code for that? What's the code yeah. for innovation? Yeah. Like, yeah. you, you need that Google uh, time. Who did right. you build for your innovation? Who did you build your <laughs> innovation?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's also antithetical to efficiency, mm-hmm. and there's this tedious quest for efficiency that drives our professions, both bookkeepers and accountants. You go here, Ron. Now, <laughs> uh, efficiency's great with things, but you can't be efficient with people. That's right. mm-hmm. Nobody describes their marriage as efficient. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. If they did, they'd be
6: divorced. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And so I think back to Diane's thought about this as a relationship, you know, we're relationship workers, relationships are by definition inefficient. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So don't be don't be worried about being inefficient that. with people.
8: Thank you. My name is Avere Mwadike. I am from um, Old Lady of Peace Parish. I am the bookkeeper. I introduced sage to take care of the finances and the archdiocese around us. And it's working pretty well. And then, but before then, over the years, I've worked in the universities for about 15 years. But I'm thinking things are not changing there. And I'm wondering, in your own opinion, as we are discussing today, about the future of the accountants and the bookkeepers, how do we, do you think we can break into these things of making them come on with those change we're talking about and embracing it? Because it's really a hard nut to crack. Some of them don't even want to hear about, oh, this is how we do it and we must do it that way. Mm-hmm. And then like, wherever I have introduced things and it keep working, after some time, they get used to it and they're happy with it, the result. But for the past 15 years I worked in the university, we had so many things going on without result. Yeah. But they wouldn't embrace, mm-hmm. Actually, maybe that's in Africa, but I think I need to do something about that. I'm thinking about that, really. Yeah. Because once we take a, a program that could really give a result and let people who understand know what to do, it will really work out. But I'm thinking, what do you think? is the best w- approach to get this not change. All right, let me, yeah. let me,
1: I'm going to jump in here and put a shameless plug in for my session tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um do a session tomorrow at 10, 11.30, I think. 11, 11.30. Healing Leadership is the name of it, 11.30. It's in room 14, so down in the bowels of the building. I think it's on the lower floor. I think that's where room 14 is. Anyway, um, and here's like this really tough love answer. Don't worry about it mm-hmm. like you know this this is here here's here's one of my favorite consulting questions to try to get an understanding uh, if I can make any inroads is it possible that state this right so you say to somebody who's who's resisting you is it possible that you're incorrect about this is it possible that there's a, another better way right mm-hmm. and sometimes they say no it's not possible right yeah. or either directly they say no it's not possible or their actions Make it obvious that they don't think it's possible, right? If that's the case, don't don't bother, <laughs> right? like, like this is. It, but there's a the saying about you know uh, don't t- teach a pig to dance, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, the dance the pig won't learn how to dance and we'll just frustrate the pig. You know, so there's no reason to do it if it's not even possible in their mind. So I, I, this whole notion of possibility is an important one. But that that we'll deal with that that's, that whole session tomorrow on. What, what is it that we can do? The short answer is if you care about the relationship mm-hmm. re- remain connected to them and wait for them to change. So don't try to change them because you can't. Mm-hmm. What's the Edmund Friedman quote, Ed? Oh, alright. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. The colossal is I open the session with tomorrow so those of you can come a little late. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just saved you yeah, five minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> yeah. The colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. Mm-hmm. The colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. That if we have, I just give them that little nugget. I just give them that little piece. I, they just need this little Don't piece it and they'll go, right, you're, you're totally right. I get it now. Right? That doesn't happen. Right? Because they're unmotivated to change. They're unmotivated to make a difference for them. So, anyway, we'll get your question in a second. Let's, uh, other thoughts on that? Just... No, I just logic,
2: rationality doesn't seem to work very well, right? I, mean, <laughs> I, I actually think humor can be one of the most effective oh, yeah. ways to get people to change. Just you know, I think we should just mock and, and laugh the bill of lour out of existence. <laughs> yeah. Because we all do it privately, so let's you know, let's just mock it in public. And I think that will take it down much quicker
1: than logic will. Any other thoughts on that? This question, oh, over here. Any other thoughts on that? This question over here.
4: It just sounds a little bit to me more like a change management yeah. issue, and so another thing that bookkeepers need to be specialists in is change is management, change management yeah. um, and introducing changes to clients and things like that. Um, I think in many cases, when you're talking to somebody about changing, all they see is this really big, scary step one, sure. <laughs> and they don't see the result of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So I think if you can try to communicate the benefit and sell them on the benefit, then usually begrudgingly, they'll get through those those few steps. Sometimes you have to vary the timing of certain changes with their comfort level. Um, you know, I, I'm i okay it taking a month to get to step two rather than two weeks if it means that they'll be totally bought into step two by the time we get there, that kind of thing. So, yeah, baby steps. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this is a very real situation, especially in the, in the mid market. We've got some of our mid market partners in here as in the, well. The, there's no technical reason why somebody can't switch an accounting system over a weekend. Like, there's no technical reason, right? You can, with, with data now, we, we, can, we can move years of data almost instantaneously or, you know, certainly we're running mega servers to convert data. It, it's, it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that it takes however long to technically move over. It has to do with the fact that people don't like to change what they're doing, right? So that's why an accounting implementation takes three to six months. It right? has nothing to do with technology anymore. This has to do with people who just don't want to change. So, all right, uh, here's, so we're, we're coming up on the end here. We're going to take uh, one or two more questions, and then the panel, the last thing we'll do is around and you will get a chance to ask others on the panel a question, including Ron or myself. All right. So we'll take two more questions from the floor. And then we're going to start over here, and you guys get to ask the final question of everybody else. Okay, so.
7: Uh, hi there. Uh, my name is Derek
1: Bartlett. So I'm with Jake's Incorporated. i a bookkeeper. Uh, I'm pretty new to um, new to the game, and uh, wandering around the floor today, I noticed a lot of the focus is on uh, software. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, and, and just the crazy exponential rate it's improving, and to the point where. Uh, People say inputting is still necessary, but even that might change in time, or you can just dump your box of data and a scanner will pick out everything of where it came from and so on. Um, You'd still need a human face at the end of that to present the solution that the computer's giving to your client, but does that mean that bookkeeping is necessarily a sort of narrowing field, where you're going to have to be more of, you know, that friendly face that sells them the solution of the software? is going through to convince them that, hey, this is the right thing to do for your business.
3: I think that goes back to what I really truly believe is that it's more of a relationship building when you're when you're a bookkeeper and yes, because the I don't think you even have to present it. It, it actually can just appear to them <laughs> right now, um, but you still need to be in partnership with them to build their business and they don't have the background and the education that you have to get into the you know really hidden information inside the numbers and help them make the business decisions that they need based on numbers, based on real data, not on their gut feeling. And yeah, I, I really think that that's the way to go and to develop
4: those relationships.
3: And specialization helps.
4: And I'm, I'm seeing um, now with bookkeepers, like there's always been those, you know, more introverted bookkeepers that really actually genuinely enjoy sitting at a desk and just dealing with paper all day. Um, not many are in this room apparently, but, <laughs> but they just really like just those task-based people that just give me the work and I'll do the work. And so for those people who that relationship totally freaks them out and the thought of being a trusted advisor just totally freaks them out, that those rules can also then change so it doesn't mean it's going away it means you can be like the software implementer you can be the that architect we were talking about earlier, you can be, but instead of sitting there with your stamp and going through receipts, you can just publish off your receipt bank dashboard, right? Mm-hmm. So there's different, different tasks still within the full bookkeeping function that I still don't think each individual bookkeeper needs to be from the beginning of the story right through to the financial storyteller because there are some really great ones of those that you don't want sitting at a desk, right? But if everybody is doing the job that they are best at and they happen to all work at the same firm, then that's going to be a really great client experience. So if you're one of those people that is completely freaked out by the thought of being a trusted advisor, you really love the software piece, great. But then go at it and be, I mean, you could be a software implementer for CPA firms or for other bookkeeping firms that would rather be in front of a client. So there's lots of opportunities there too.
1: Mar, anything to add to that? You good? Okay. Uh, do we,
5: we have, have one more work question? Work. More? Yeah. one more? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. My name is Bob Hussain and I am a bookkeeper and in the path to become a CPA. And my question is about the future of accounting education.
4: How we are going to prepare the future generation of the accountants? Is it through the university? Is it through the uh, uh, industry? including consulting firms and other accounting firms, or is it going to be, uh, to the professional professional associations themselves, the regulator that has the overall say on the quality
1: of the accountants? Okay, thanks.
3: I think that that's an excellent question, Bob, that I don't know we all have the answer to yet, because we do need to be educated constantly. Now, at IPBC, we do a lot of webinars, we make sure all of our members are up on the latest information, but I think that at some point, we have to seriously look at that question and make sure that that kind of stuff is back in the schools when they're actually taking the, the courses cool. and uh, in the curriculum, yes. So I think it'll be a combination, for sure, but it's a good question and, and I'm not sure that we've got that quite part of it figured out yet. Because as the technology gets harder and harder to grasp,
5: who is responsible to make their schools aware of these changes?
3: Well, that's part of what IP. Sorry, that's part of what IPBC is doing right now. We're working with all of the colleges across Canada to make sure that uh, they've lined up their curriculum. What we're wanting for an output when the bookkeepers actually graduate out of the bookkeeping and accounting courses that they do. So as an association for bookkeepers we play a part in that but we're also the association that is accrediting the bookkeepers. So we need to make sure that that's what we're doing. We're we're accrediting them and not necessarily educating them and give room out there for the colleges to and universities and other courses to do that so but that's one of the things that we're working really hard on right now and working with a lot of the colleges across Canada.
4: And I think uh, Ron has some great points in talking about the, the future of CPA and, and getting that education in at the university level. I personally don't think that you are going to get the timely and valuable information from a formal institution. It's moving too fast. I just think they're too slow yeah they're way too slow so I think I think it's at conferences like this, and right. it's at other uh, publications and other online uh, blogs and things like that okay, that you're going to okay. find the most relevant and most timely information mm-hmm. that's going to show you where things are going. Mm-hmm. Take, care, take in, care. in terms of uh,
6: CPA Canada, so they, my understanding is they set the curriculum for to to get your CPA designation. There's different streams now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to be an auditor, you would you know, have to take different courses um, and training than, than you would if you just wanted to work in industry. And similarly, you can do articles you know, sort of your training period. Um, it, in industry, there are accredited um, workplaces in industry as opposed to the way it used to be uh, like with CAs that you had to train at one of the base firms or you know, a, a, an auditing firm. So, things are changing, um, but, yeah, I think what what Rachel said is true that, you know, and especially for, there's so many people who already have their designations, right? And so, the, it, it's it's sort of a personal journey and mm-hmm. knowing what's going to work for you. Get, and going back to the CPA thing is, it, with so many of the CPAs working in industry, so, you know, who knows whether or not that's going to be their priority going forward, is to provide that kind of support for practitioners.
1: As you are talking, I had this analogy pop in my head. I'm not sure if I like this analogy, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is that the, the colleges and universities and even to sort of a certain extent, um, you know, courses that are teaching this stuff are, are, are the, the slow-moving factories of the past, right? <laughs> and what we need is 3D printed yes. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, think that's, I mean, I don't, I don't like, I like to equate people with things that we would print, but I think from a technology standpoint, that might be an interesting analogy. We need it more, more instantaneous, more uh, specific to what it is that we're trying to do. That concludes the final segment of our panel that we recorded live at SAGE Summit 2017 in Toronto, the accountants and bookkeepers of the future. Unfortunately, the last segment... Did not record properly, so instead, Ron and I will be back with a recap. But first, want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, the show notes and previews to upcoming shows available at thesoulofenterprise.com. And please do keep those reviews on iTunes, as well as the reviews of our book out on Amazon, also entitled The Soul of Enterprise, coming. We love to get those reviews, and they are just the currency that we use here in the radio and podcast and book author space. So please keep those reviews coming. Right now, a word from our sponsor and, of course, my employer, Sage.
5: For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE.
0: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
1: Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Soul of Enterprise, and you have been listening to our panel conversation that Ron and I recorded live at Sage Summit 2017 in Toronto, Canada, the accountants and bookkeepers of the future. And uh, so do you, what are some of your thoughts on that panel, Ron? It was
2: thoroughly enjoyable, and I, I really enjoyed the three ladies that we interviewed because I think they're true thought leaders in, in the bookkeeping space, and in, in one of the questions we asked them was, where do they see value pricing versus hourly billing in the bookkeeper world, and they all agreed that it needed to go, and I was just thinking, you know, if you would ask them that question maybe 10 years ago, I don't think that would have been the answer. So, I think some minds have been changed around the world on that topic,
1: yeah, sure, and I think there was even some smatterings of applause when we said it and I mean, clearly, there was an audience of people who were favorable to our position uh, and had heard us before, but even even Diane Mueller who's you know head of the i p b c and I don't think she's fully there in regard to her personal practice just yet. I mean, I think she admitted that. But, uh, you know, was, uh, was talking about uh, Karl Marx and, and uh, parroting his, his uh, phrase. So I thought that was pretty good.
2: Yeah, you have nothing to lose but your time sheets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Good stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, and I think I mentioned this, you know, Rachel uh, Fish right now is, ha, has come aboard at, in, to, as a SAGE colleague. So I'm pretty excited about that because I thought she did a great job.
2: Yeah, I was thrilled to hear that because I, I could tell she was kind of squirming when I asked her about her perspective from Deloitte about the billable hour because, of course, the big four are mired in that. So <laughs> I'm glad we can make that public now that she's with you guys.
1: Yep, yep. No. And, I, you know, I wonder if that had something to do with it, you know, that she would want to fill out a time sheet. We don't do time sheets at stage, Ron, so that's a good thing.
2: Uh, well, she wouldn't be the first person Ed, that left the big four over that issue.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs>
2: The other thing I found interesting was uh, when we started opening it up to audience questions. A couple questions struck me. The first one on the conflict of interest issue, and you know, we talked about if you're an advertising agency and you work for Coke, obviously Pepsi doesn't want anything to do with you. But I, I told the story about how Tim and I were in a room with Johnson & Johnson and Procter & Gamble and Coke and Pepsi and some other you know big rivals and they looked at one another said, why did we do this this is stupid don't you hire McKinsey yes we hire McKinsey and we don't think that's a conflict so why are why would we think accountants or bookkeepers or ad agencies should be conflicted out because of who they work with
1: right Right. Yeah. No, I I. I never quite understood that, that either. I mean, the only place that I really get that conflict of interest stuff is from the of lawyers. That's the only place where it makes sense. Right. Right. Exactly. They need it for sure. Um, the other
2: thing is Andrew Wall, who's a CPA, was in the audience, and he asked us a great question about when do we see the tipping point of this new business model being adopted. And he, he was talking very globally, you know, about – technology but also about value pricing and the timesheet and all of that and it was just a really interesting group of responses everybody said well you know the profession is risk adverse and loss averse and these are busy people and they do a lot of compliance and they don't want to change and you know and i think all those things are true but i do think it's deeper than that
1: how, how so how is it deeper than that
2: I just think, you know, as we always talk about, a profession's designed to preserve and protect the status quo.
1: Right. Okay. And,
2: and that that's its first line of defense. And so when you challenge it, um, you know, like I talked about, I think the ulcer wars, you know, those two doctors that had the theory that ulcers were caused by bacteria, not stress. And it took them 20 years to get a scientific and evidence-based profession to change. And boy, if, if it takes doctors 20 years to change their mind, how long is it going to take? The CPA profession.
1: No, I agree. Uh, You know, one thing that that came up—we talked a little bit about it—was the whole professionalization and 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 I guess uh, chartering of bookkeepers and it being a government uh, charter. Um, do you think that's going to happen? I, I, I think we made it pretty clear that we both thought that that was a mistake. But I don't, I, you know, I, I hope it doesn't happen for their sake. But I, I'm curious as to why you think that they want to do it. Do you think that they're trying to block people out, or is it really born from a genuine concern for public interest that there really should be certification?
2: Uh, well, I, you know, look, I have a very warped view on this because I think anybody runs to the government for professionalization to protect themselves from competition. I don't think they should do it. Because I think it'll kill innovation like it has in the CPA profession.
1: So true. So true. Would just make everything into, back into the cookie-cutter approach. And in, in one way, reinforce the thing that, that CPAs and accountants have been worried about, and that is the commoditization, right? But once you get standardization across the board, especially with government sanction, well, then you've got to conform to all of those government regulations as well, which just, just leads to even more and more cookie-cutter.
2: Right, show me, show me an overregulated profession that's innovative.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <A> good, good, <laughs> great point as usual. Well, Ron, I, we're out of time on that. But uh, what do you, what do you, any other parting thoughts as we go?
2: No, other than that it was just great fun. I really enjoyed it, Ned. What do we have on store for next
1: week? Uh, next week, Ron, we are going to do our Free Rider Friday segment. And what's so cool about that is we did postpone it because of this this week, but. We're going to do two free, to free rider Fridays in August, which will just be a lot of fun.
2: Oh, great! I'll get to reduce my stack a little bit. Awesome! <laughs> i I look forward to it. I'd see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been the Soul of Enterprise: Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific for Free Rider Friday. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.